I didn't own a pool. I had never cleaned a pool, but I bought a pool business to clean pools and I doubled the size of it and I resold it. Wow. I just wanted to do it to have the experience. If you want to be an entrepreneur, it's just like a muscle that you have to learn to build. Just go do those things. Yorana, Yorana. What is going on, my fellow and future millionaires? Welcome to the Millionaire University Podcast. This is your host, Justin Williams, coming at you live from the remote island of Maupiti, French Polynesia. It is pouring rain today. We were supposed to go on an excursion to see manta rays, and all we're seeing is Wayne. But it's kind of cool, right, babe? And Brogan? It's very fun and adventurous. The rain's knocking out like a bunch of coconuts and mangoes from the trees. So you just hear like, boom. They say Maupiti is what Bora Bora was like 60 years ago. So it's super cool and remote. Not a lot of people here. Tara, what are your thoughts on the people? I think this is the coziest, cutest little town. But also there was a bit of a family freak out when we couldn't figure out internet and we had no car and nobody could speak any English and we couldn't find any stores that were open nor restaurants because they only have like five teeny little stores and two tiny little restaurants that were all closed when we got here. And we were like, what have we done? (laughs) And I think Tara's experiencing a few hot flashes, right, babe? Uh, I don't think I call those hot flashes. It's called humidity, heat, and no AC, okay? Tara struggles more with cold, and she struggles more with heat. We just realized that. We didn't know she struggled more with heat. I'm temperature sensitive. (laughs) Brogan, any final thoughts? The mangoes are so yummy. We we just walk around, and there's tons of mangoes and coconuts everywhere, and you just grab them, and there's bananas. There's like 1,200 people who live here. Anyway, we're having quite the experience. It's been pretty awesome. Okay, so on to the podcast for today. Today we have something really exciting in store for you. The MU family is growing once again. And we're super stoked to announce, drum roll please. You're having a baby? We're not having a baby, (laughs) unfortunately for you. But our good friend Kirsten Tyrell is going to be coming on as the newest millionaire family millionaire mentor. We got to wordsmith that. (laughs) She's come on as the newest member of the Millionaire University family. And she's going to be bringing her world of experience, expertise, everything that she's done and learned and her connections and networks to the Millionaire University family. She's gonna be helping us create content. Once we start launching our program, she's gonna be one of the Millionaire Mentors. And we're just super pumped to have her aboard as we continue to provide as much value as possible to the Millionaire University community. A plus. I'm also super pumped about the interview that Kirsten did. She actually did her own intro, so I won't steal her thunder. But when I heard who she interviewed and the company that this person started, it's a company that I've heard a lot about. And you've heard it mentioned on the MU podcast before. I was super pumped. With that, let's get to it. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Kirsten Tyrell, the newest member of the Millionaire University family. Take it away, Kirsten. What's up, Millionaire University? It's me, Kirsten Tyrell, and I'm back again. This time in a slightly different capacity. I am more than excited to be invited to come on as a content creator and as a partner with MU because I heard the interview on the podcast when Justin asked Brian to come on as a member of the team. And I remember thinking, oh man, I hope that there's going to be opportunities in the future for me to do the same thing. Because as you may have heard on my interview with Tara, Justin and Tara were my first mentors in the online business space. I had had other businesses before, but I had never stepped into the online world. And I actually took their photos for their podcast and then 
completely went all in with everything that they were teaching when they initially started talking about the millionaire lifestyle. And it was because of them that I actually have gone on to build multiple successful businesses, including making over seven figures, consulting and coaching and helping other people build their businesses. I have learned a ton from them and I've learned a ton because of them. And I'm so excited that I get a chance to come on here and provide even more value to anybody listening. I've listened to pretty much every episode of MU and I know that there is a huge opportunity here for growth and for learning. I'm excited to bring the people that I know that have incredible, inspiring stories. And I'm so excited that Justin and Tara had faith in me to bring me on. And I cannot wait to bring all of the goodness, the education, the value, and the support and energy that you need when you're setting out to create your first million-dollar business. So with that being said, I'm so stoked for today's episode. It is a perfect flagship episode for me to bring in somebody who I admire, who I know. Her company was actually mentioned on a prior episode here on MU. And I knew she would be a great guest to bring on and share her story and her background with you. So today I'm interviewing my friend Georgia Levitt, the co-founder of ShareTown. And I cannot wait for you to hear all of the gold nuggets she drops because she is one of the most knowledgeable entrepreneurs I've ever met. So that being said, get ready to take some serious notes and learn from my friend Georgia. And again, I cannot wait to bring you even more incredible episodes to the Millionaire University world. Thank you, Justin and Tara, for trusting me, bringing me on. Let's rock and roll. Welcome to Millionaire University, Georgia. I'm so happy that you are here chatting with me and can share your incredible backstory with the Millionaire University audience. So let's dive in right away into what ShareTown is because you are one of the founders of this company. And I just want to let everybody know, I actually heard this mentioned on another episode of Millionaire University. I texted you and I said, hey, they interviewed Nick Loper from Side Hustle School. They mentioned ShareTown. And so let's dive deeper into what that is. Yes, thank you. That's That was very exciting when you sent that text, when you just like hear your name mentioned out in the wild. You know, that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, you're doing something um, right. Yeah, well, ShareTown is a, what we term as a reverse logistics company. We do, we do much more than that. But essentially, if you buy something large online, like a, a couch, an exercise bike, a treadmill, a mattress, a rug, and after you buy it online and you decide it's not going to work for you, maybe it's the wrong size, color, comfort level, um, and you're still within that return window, you know, the, the 100 days or 90 days or whatever the company offers, and you decide you want to return it. Our company actually picks up that return. Uh, we contract with the companies to pick up those returns, and then we resell them. So one of the beautiful things about that is we're not shipping them back to a warehouse somewhere cross country. Everything's staying ultimately like very hyper local. I think the last time that we um, did the math on it from the point of pickup of the return to the resell in the secondary market, it's like 13 miles. Um, so it's a great sustainability story of how we can keep things out of landfills and how we can repurpose things. And we're really excited about that part of the business. But also mm -hmm. really like on the entrepreneur side, we give contractors the opportunity to have their own little side hustle. And sometimes it's not just little. Sometimes it's it, it can be, you know, your your main hustle if you choose to be if you're in the right area, but we started this we're in our 7th year of doing this thing. We actually started earlier on ShareTown was more of a, a buy sell share rent platform and then we made a pivot about 7 years ago and got our first contract uh, with a mattress company and then just have grown it 
from there into exercise equipment and furniture. And we even do pizza ovens and baby furniture. We do all sorts of really cool stuff. Basically big items, oversized items that you're not going to stick back in a box and ship it back to the company. That's that's kind of our niche, like our little sweet spot. That's so cool. So let's talk a little bit about how that even came to be, because I know that I've heard episodes here on Millionaire University, and I think even Tara's brother was flipping mattresses or flipping couches. When you say flip uh-huh. mattresses, it sounds so funny. You're not literally flipping it over, you're <laughs> buying, selling. And I, yeah, I don't think it was mattresses, it was couches. And so tell me how it started. Was it something along those lines of, oh, I, I see a need, or how did you discover the need, I guess, and even get into this whole secondhand yeah. flipping? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, that's how all business starts is that there's mm-hmm. a need and you kind of figure out, well, how do you solve that problem for that person? So we had, like I had mentioned previously, we had built a, a my background's technology and marketing. So we'd built this, this platform, this app um, where people could buy and rent and share with uh, their neighbors or rent from their neighbors. And it's this is pre-Facebook Marketplace, right? Mm-hmm. So we had, we had kind of seeing Facebook Marketplace happening before it was happening. And um, so we had created this and we had got um, a couple million users using it. And we could understand this hyper-local marketplace that was happening. We really understood that in the secondary market um, and people trying to do this little side hustle. But we actually had a good friend that we'd worked with before that was the CMO of a mattress company. And he had mentioned to us, hey, our it was, you know, one of the first mattresses that were doing this bed in the box things. And they were like, we can't figure out how to get these picked up, like the returns. We don't want to throw them. No one wants to throw them away, right? They're mm-hmm. like new. Some of them were, were still in the packaging. You know, they get shipped the wrong item. They didn't want to ship it back across country. Or if they did open it and it didn't work for them after a night or two, it's just a bad experience for everyone, for the customer and, you know, for just the environment to throw these things away. And they didn't really have many other solutions. They had, you know, wanted to donate them to charity, but charities didn't really know what to do with them. What are they going to do with it? It's, yeah, they, charities wanted money, right? They really Mm -hmm. money donated, not necessarily uh, used these types of used items. And so that was really our first foot in the door is we solved it for this one company. And once we figured that out, we kind of opened it up to to more companies. And it's been interesting because we've been able to, you know, a mattress is a very basic product. It's an interesting product because um, these bed-in-the-box mattresses can be extremely heavy and cumbersome. Mm-hmm. And we've developed a whole way to like repackage them and clean and sanitize them. Like we follow all the state guidelines and laws uh, you know with that but we've gone into exercise equipment which is highly technical mm-hmm. and very heavy and we've been able to kind of crack that co- code so it's been kind of exciting to to see where this is taking us and what we're kind of able to grow with different products and kind of the sky's the limit at this point yeah. we're looking at a lot of a lot of different things well it sounds like it's really big now and you said you're in year seven and that's really exciting to get to that point. But I know most people who are listening to this are going to be in the first few months or first year of starting something, growing a business. And so can you take us back to what that first year was like and even that initial sell? I mean, was it something where you had this vision of, I'm going to grow this into a company, we're going to have employees, we're going to be able to create this opportunity for other people? Or was it just kind of that meeting that need and solving that problem 
you know, kind of where was your mindset in that first year? Yeah. So what's interesting, you know, in that first year, it was really just me. So I have a co-founder. At that point, we had pivoted. He went back to work to be able to feed his family. I was lucky enough to just kind of stay on and and go for it. And so Mm -hmm. it was just me at that point. No other, no employees or anything. And I went and did the very first pickup return in Las Vegas of the very first item. Had no idea what I was doing, what it was going to look like. I was, I made, I made up the receipt. I literally just made a Google <laughs> Doc and like, you know, and I think, I think that's really kind of a key is for entrepreneurship is just the doing part of it. Mm-hmm. A lot of times we think we didn't have a website. We didn't have any of those things, right? Like I literally made a Google Doc for a receipt, right? Like sometimes we just really overcomplicate things. You know, I made up the whole spiel of what to tell the customer, like, but it's about just, solving one problem after another and not having everything perfectly in place before you do anything. I think that's the thing that holds most people up is they want to start a business and they're like, okay, I need a website. I need my business cards. I need a phone number. And they they spend a lot of time and energy around the branding and around Mm -hmm. like all of the things, which I'm marketing. So yes, I get that. Those are all things that are important, but um, let's not get too far ahead of ourselves before we figure out what we're really doing here, because I guarantee you're going to rebrand. I guarantee yeah. it. whatever you start with isn't what you're going to end with. So don't be afraid to just take those first few steps and solve the initial problem and just see like it's, you know, the, the what do they call it? The MVP, the minimal viable product, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like just go and do the most basic thing and see if you can get money. So I picked up my first item. It was the mattress. I sold it the same day. Or the next day, I can't remember. I think it was the same day. And I was like, okay, I think we have something here, right? Like I can get this product and we can sell it and we can make some money. And so then we kind of just grew by that. But I mean, at every point, you just hit a roadblock over and over and over. And then you're like, okay, let's solve this. How, what's Mm -hmm. the easiest way to solve this first? And then what's, what way makes the most sense? And you kind of just have to do those baby steps. It's just, mm-hmm. there's no jumping from one end to another without taking the steps in between. Like you really just have to do the work, right? Yeah. Like it's, it's, I look back at, at that time and I was like, wow, it's amazing to see how far we've come. Just, you know, our, our company has grown a ton. We have, you know, over a thousand contract workers that work for us doing this nationwide. And so it's, it's been pretty fun. Yeah. So when when did that part come in where you started bringing in other contractors? Like how long were you able to manage that workload by yourself? Because that's another thing I think people do. And I love that you touched on. You just have to do because I think it's tempting to get stuck in the the planning and getting everything perfected. I know we've been guilty before in my business at, you know, getting the branding done and getting the website purchased and having the perfect URL before actually even having a product that we're selling. And so much of that is a regret because we had to go back and it was just kind of a waste of money in the long run. So that's a really, really important and valuable lesson for people to know. But then as you grow, there's also a tendency to want to scale really fast and you you have this thing that's working. And so now we have to grow it into a seven-figure business in the next two years. So how was the how was the scaling and how did you maintain, you know, the growth without pushing it too fast and too hard and just steadily turning it into something where you now have over a thousand contractors? Yeah. Well, I don't know that there's ever a perfect balance of that, right? Like, I think it's always that chicken and the egg because you're always trying to grow. You're always trying to, you know, make sure you have everything in place so that you can grow. But then if you do it too fast, then you don't have the the money for it. So it's like you're always back and forth. 
I did. I only did it a, maybe a couple months where it was just me as an employee, but I quickly actually recruited contractors to help, like help us service areas. We we I think within the first year we were servicing the West Coast. I think wow. it, what was interesting too. Um, initially, we would have one contractor service the whole state, do the whole state, and yeah. I mean that. That's not sustainable, obviously, obviously. but like for Utah and Arizona and Washington state places that I had connections and I basically, you know, begged all of my family and friends, like (laughs) I have this really weird thing, but luckily they trusted me and I was like, you can make money doing this. And the cool thing is that the contractors that we've brought in are like you and me, right? Mm -hmm. We are educated, we're entrepreneurial. And so to have those types of people working for the business has been a huge uh, bonus for the business because it just gives a great customer experience. So so the brands that we work with love us because they're excited about how we help their brand because it could potentially be a poor experience. You know, someone's returning their item, but in the end, they have someone like you and me show up at their house, ask how they're doing, take great care of their home, remove the item have a pleasant interaction and that really actually, you know, boosts the brand in the end by having mm-hmm. a good returns experience. I know for me, a part of where my decisions on where I shop are based on how easy is are the items to return. Yeah. So I love I love Costco for that reason. That's mm-hmm. just because I know I could return anything. Yeah. Amazon has done a pretty good job of it too for the scale that they are. Um so I think that's essential to brands. And so that was something we were able to capitalize on. But Back to your original question about growing it. Within a few months, I brought on some part-time help, like administrative help for me, and so that I could recruit more people. That was something that I was good at is recruiting people. But the actual administrative stuff, you know, can get tedious, and you need someone to do it. So I hired a part-time person to do that, and then a couple months later, another part-time person to kind of help them. And you kind of just fill in the spots. And then as you grow, you're like, okay, now we have to, we, I always talk about it. Like, you know, you go from being like an infant Mm -hmm. to a toddler, you know, and you kind of go through those stages. I remember, you know, when we were a teenage company and we were making money, it was really exciting, but then you're kind of like, okay, we need to make sure all the the laws and regulations are being followed. Mm. (laughs) And just really like, you just keep on growing up, you know, it gets a little less exciting. Because yeah. you start to realize there's just a lot of lot of things you don't know and a lot of people you need to bring in to help help grow the company in that way. But it is it is that process. I I think sometimes we get ahead of ourselves with hiring um, early mm-hmm. on. I even today most everyone that is on my team I've done their job before, so I can speak to them about it. But it's, there's something to hiring people that have a skill set that you don't have that's mm-hmm. smarter than you and that can help you take you to the ne- next level. Because um, one of our advantages with uh, what we were doing is it was it was a brand new concept. No one does what we do the way we do it. And there's an advantage to that because it disrupts the market. We've really disrupted something and, and the returns, you know, large item returns market, it's it's very different. But I can't go hire someone that's already done this. Yeah. I can't go recruit someone that's like, well, how did you do this? Can you show me? Can you can you bring this expertise like this? That just doesn't exist. Now, there's parts that you can hire for, but the overall concept doesn't really exist anywhere else. And so that yeah. has been a challenge for sure. And it takes like sometimes six months for a new hire to even really 
understand what our business does because it's just so different. Yeah, it is. And I remember when I met you, you said, I have an online business. And at first I thought you were in like direct sales or something. And then it was a business model I had never heard of, which is crazy because I felt like I had heard of every business model on the planet. I love researching and knowing how people make money. And it is, it's such a cool concept. And that is something it's like you said, there's advantages and disadvantages to that. And I think sometimes people probably have really good ideas, but because they don't see it done and they're more of, I tend to be this way at times. I can be on both ends of the coin where it's it's easier to mimic and just kind of adapt and personalize your thing when you see a business model. It's a lot harder and it takes somebody very innovative to come up with a concept that hasn't been done before. And I, But I actually think a lot of people think that's what it takes to be successful, that you have to invent something new, that you have to come up with something that's never been done. But I don't even think you land on that until you just take some of the basic general skills and knowledge that you have and start applying it to something. Because you mentioned you had a background in marketing, and I know you've told me you could start probably any business because you know that marketing is really about it's solving a problem and it's being able to convey that in the messaging and being able to find the people who need that problem solved. So yeah, it's it's an interesting conundrum, you know, when you're looking right now at maybe starting something, finding that balance between how do I start something fresh? How do I go out on my own and be brave enough to do something that's maybe never been done? Or how do I make something that has, you know, in existence to become something more unique? So how actually that that leads to an important question. Have you had other businesses? Are there other businesses like ShareTown? that exist that have come in and duplicated your model? Like, do you have competition now or are you just kind of industry leader in the whole business model? Yeah, currently we're the industry leader. We don't have anyone that has replicated us exactly. Like there's there's people that have always done parts of what we do. We have just brought it all together and, and have done it in a totally different way than anyone else. It would be a difficult business to replicate. That's something I know just having built it, like what we've done has been, it's very difficult. And so that gives me a little bit of peace of mind being first to market and doing mm-hmm. that. But I agree with you, like it's a complicated business. And I probably, you know, looking back on it, I'm super happy with it, the way it's grown and everything. But if I was just starting from scratch, this isn't the business I wish <laughs> I would have started. It was, it was a lot of work because I just think about my, like, it's funny because when people do ask me what I do, I usually just tell them, I, I'm in marketing. I don't get into the whole thing because it's just complicated and I can't, there aren't a lot of points of reference. Like I can't be, I, I can't tell someone like, oh, it's just like, you know, Amazon or, you know, there's yeah. sometimes, you know, we, we try to like simplify things and, and, and dumb it down a little bit to explain it. But truthfully, like there is a lot of value in, you know, the copy and paste model. You see somebody else doing something and you go out and you do it better or you do it differently or you niche it slightly differently. Like there's a lot of value in that because you don't have to make things up from scratch. Like everything to be successful, you don't have to disrupt a whole industry, right? Mm-hmm. I, I actually stud- studied disruption theory and uh, when I was in university and it was fascinating to me. I really loved it. And I actually never set out to disrupt an industry. That was never my point, but um, it just was necessity, right? So we had built something else, we had grown it, and it just never took off the way we needed it to in order for us to make money. And so we kind of had a pivot. We ran out of money, and this is very normal for a startup. You kind of run out of money and you're like, okay, what now? You can close your doors. And for me, 
I had known that it was a thing I needed to do and that I was just going to keep on pushing forward as long as there was a path for it. And so it was basically at that point where we're like, okay, we're out of money that the opportunity came up to do these returns for this mattress company. And I was like, okay, well, here it is. Let me figure it out. And so it wasn't, it wasn't like I set forward to just do this. I mean, our first thing we were doing was a little bit different than anybody else had done, but I'd always lived in that tech space and you know, kind of like you were saying with just marketing, if you have a marketing mi- mindset, if you know how to sell things, you, you'll you always be able to feed your family. And that's something that I've appreciated about this is opportunity is that my older children have done this as a job to help them through college and, you know, married life. And I know that they'll always be able to feed their family because they know how to sell used items. If you know how to sell a used mattress, you will always be able to make money for your family. <laughs> it's true. So, you know, there's a there's an element if you're like, if you wanna if you wanna be an entrepreneur, get some sales skills, get some marketing skills. Those are the things that were really like, yeah, there's other skills that are very helpful, but you will always need those skills to be mm-hmm. successful. Whether you hire those skills in to it because you're a product person. But if you if you have sales and marketing, it it kind of trumps all the other skills in yeah. my in my mind when it comes to entrepreneurship. Like you really need that piece. Mm-hmm. No, I agree with you. And I think that a lot of people would agree with you who have had any, any level of success because it's very easy to do a job. It's very hard to sell something and, and whether it's your own product or not, it still takes a skill set to understand how does this solve a problem? Who is this for? And if you can master that, I honestly think it gives you the confidence. It gives you just an understanding of human nature. And it's so, and selling, I think so many people have a bad connotation with it, or it's just like, uh, icky car salesman, but it's still an essential thing. You know, it's, it's helpful to have somebody who can show you the best product for you. And that's how the economy stays alive. If we didn't have people selling, then there would be landfills filled with mattresses right now and pizza ovens and exercise equipment. And it keeps the world going around. So there's so much that I want to ask you just kind of going backwards a little bit about even your your hiring, because you mentioned you guys have really mastered this whole return experience. And it's because of the people that you've been able to bring in. Now, I assume that has not been flawless. I'm sure you've had to really cycle through and figure out what makes a great rep. And it's not so much a hiring firing, right? Because these are contracted people who are kind of coming in and it's their own business, so to speak. So what do you feel like you have done right in attracting and bringing in the right people to be able to facilitate that experience for the people returning products? It's a great question. It is, you know, it really is the bread and butter of our business. So we take it very seriously and we look at, you know, like the ideal person and we make out like this is this is kind of who they look like and where where do they live? Where can we find them? What Facebook groups are they in? What what would attract them to us? What's that storyline? So part of the problem that we've had is because what we do is so different, um, it's kind of a hard sell for people because it's not something they've ever heard of, right? And mm-hmm. so that has actually been a huge challenge for us. Uh, early on, um, just me recruiting because I was recruiting people that knew me or friends of friends, That that's, you know, the trust factor is everything. They need to trust what I'm telling them. It's really going to happen. And then you get some testimonials. And truthfully today, our very best reps that come on are referrals, internal mm-hmm. referrals, people that already do this. And then they can tell their their cousin or their friend across country or whatever, like, hey, I'm doing this. This is working. Come join me. 
that's really where we found a lot of our success. And we've We've purposely grown very organically for a long time. Um, within the last two years, we've put some money behind it and we've, you know, done Facebook ads and, and tried some different things. And we've had, we've had some success doing that, mm-hmm. but a lot of trial and error, mm-hmm. a lot of trial and error. And so, yeah. you know, it's interesting, you know, back to that whole sales thing we were discussing is like to be good at sales and everything we do is sales. I don't know that everyone recognizes them even mm-hmm. selling yourself to get your job, whatever it is, there's always sales. A really good salesperson, you don't know that they're selling you, right? And so yeah. that whole used car salesman thing, like that's not who you have to be. Mm-hmm. You just have to get, you just have to believe and understand what you're doing enough that you can convince people, <laughs> really, right? Convince people of what you're doing. So for us, it's been able to build a trust factor, convince people what we're doing, have the testimonials, and then really be able to back it up. Right. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, we have seven years of experience doing this and we have a really great success record. We haven't ever lost one of our partners, like any of the brands that we work with. They all still work with us. That's it is. I mean, that's a, a really big deal for yeah. them to see the value. And, and once they start working with us, they want to know how can we work with you more and more because they really and ultimately it comes down to the quality of the reps that we contract with. They're just such good people, high integrity, and it really does a great job to protect their brand and to give consumers a great experience. Like really, that's that's what we're doing is we're giving great experience for the brand. It sounds to me like company values and just understanding what your company stands for and how you want to show up is actually probably more important in the long run than the branding than even the business name and all of those kinds of things. And I think that's where people probably get mixed up is they don't really, I don't see a lot of people spending a lot of time on this. Like, what's our mission? What are our company values? What do we stand for? What is the long-term vision of what we're doing? And how? what kind of people do we want to include? That's something a lot of people skip past and they think is just going to happen. And it sounds like you were really intentional and that's how you brought in, you know, organically brought in people. Yes, it was referrals, but only it was only beneficial to refer people because they had something really valuable that they believed in that had those really strong foundations that, of course, you would want to bring somebody into that. I know for me, when I've sold opportunities to people, it really doesn't feel like selling when it is something that you stand by and that feels like the greatest idea ever. And so it sounds like that has been a really huge component of the success of your guys's company is being able to establish those core values. And then it brings people in who align. And if they don't align, they're probably not even going to be drawn to it or last very long. And that kind of brings me to another question I wanted to ask you initially. And you've mentioned this a little bit, you know, you mentioned educated and just very a lot of integrity. But for somebody even wanting to start their own business, who's representing themselves at first, what are some of the the habits, the characteristics of somebody who you think is successful in sales or just in business in general, when you have to be out there front facing, interacting with people, being brave, being confident, building something brand new. Well, I think that what's interesting too is like the the company culture is going to exist whether you write it down or not or whether you're intentional about it or not. And so, and typically it takes on the owner or the Mm -hmm. founder's personality, right? So whatever your culture is going to be, it's going to have a lot to do with who you are as a person. And so I think this is a really good question, especially if you're going to start something or you have started something, 
is like, who, who am I and what's important to me and how can I reflect that in what I'm doing? And so for me, it's always being extremely honest, whether it's good or bad. I feel like luckily because my background is in sales and marketing, I can even bad things, I can figure out what's the good in it, right? Like I, it's my natural, probably just my my nature is to like look at the good and things. So even when bad things would happen or come up with a similar situation, it's really like, okay, how do we resolve this? And how do I do it in a way that has a lot of integrity around it? And then how do I train other people to do the same? Like ultimately, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, and I would use this term with my team all the time, it's just a mattress. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? At the end of the day, it's just a mattress. So then brain surgery, like how do we make this right? Like if, if something happened and we're like, oh, there was an issue here or damage in a home, right? Sometimes that happens. Somebody's mm-hmm. removing an item and something gets damaged. We just take care of customers. We make sure that everything is okay. We don't try to, we just try to do the right thing and the right way the best that we can every single time. Now, are we perfect? No. But when you're approaching things, and I think this about customer service to me is like essential, good customer service is essential, is that you do what you say you're going to do. And if something doesn't go right, you try to fix it. It's Mm -hmm. that easy, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, it's not easy, but it is that simple is just showing up. So I feel like the habits that whatever you want to show to the world with your business, be that person. Like, and that's the best way you're going to to see success with really like the culture of your business, how people interact with you, is that it really just comes back to the person that they're dealing with. Mm-hmm. And we try really hard, we try really hard to uh, train to that, but essentially it comes down to the core of who that, who those people are that you're working with, right? Yeah, so yeah. you can't, there's some things you can train, but not all things. Yeah. So it, it is key who you're going to work with. Right. Making well, a good pick. It sounds like that's been key at even allowing you guys to get to the status that you are right now. So what's the next What's the next stage? Like, do you have a dream and a vision for the next level of ShareTown? Do you want this to become something where you have thousands of reps all over the country? Is that the, the goal is just to keep expanding and expanding and working with new companies and assisting with that? Yeah, I mean, the dream is, I think, would be to be a household name, right? Mm-hmm. Where anyone that's returning anything that's large, that they're like, oh, yeah, this we work with ShareTown, right? Like, that's just who does the returns. Mm-hmm. We are going heavily after furniture companies. We want all the big brands. And we've got a few. It's been really exciting to to kind of test that out. And we just want all of them, right? So it's really just growing. We We currently do, I would say, over 90% of all mattress companies. We have a really huge exercise equipment company that we we, we actually work with the number one exercise equipment company in the world. Uh, we do wow. the returns for them. And, you know, I said we got into pizza ovens and baby furniture. And we would just love to keep on growing it within that space of, of furniture. And there's some, you know, I, there's a certain brands that have very high value. They they take their brands very serious. And those who are who we want to partner with because we know what we can add to that. You know, that's that's kind yeah. of our hope is that we can help help with that brand. Wow, that's amazing. So it sounds like really at the evolution of ShareTown is identifying and kind of being in alignment with a problem that was out there, being connected to the right people. You may have had to make that pivot with the initial business that you were building. 
But if you hadn't at least been doing that, it would have never led to this opportunity and this open door for you to even be top of mind with, hey, you should go and figure out if you could take this mattress and sell it. And so being able, being willing to put yourself out there, try something, understand that if it fails, if the first thing that you do doesn't work out, you're actually really normal. That's standard. Most of the first (laughs) things you do are not going to work out. But putting yourself out there and opening yourself up to opportunities is what led to the next step. And then just you're still solving that same problem that you initially solved, the very first mattress that you took back and then resold. It's just at a larger scale now. And I think the simplicity of that is really, really important for people to understand who are listening is it doesn't have to become this big convoluted thing. Scaling and having a million dollar business is not about trying to solve all the world's problems. It's about solving one really, really well. And it's cool to hear that your goals moving forward as a company are to continue doing what you do best, which is enhance the return experience. And you're just going to do it on a larger scale now. And you're going to you've brought in people who support that that mission and who have the same values and are in alignment with that. And that's how you grow something huge and successful and how you eventually pretty soon are going to be able to basically walk away and let it run itself. But you've put in the hard work. And it's so cool to hear that journey of just, yeah, I'll do this. I'll try this out all the way up to where you are right now. And I think that's a really cool story for everybody listening to see the pattern and to see all the steps that were included with you know, starting small and growing something huge. So the whole purpose of MU is to graduate rich, not poor, and even not going the traditional route of college. And you were just telling me, you know, you've had some kids that have pursued college and higher education, but now your son's graduating and he wants to yeah. be an entrepreneur. Yeah. So I mean, he actually is graduating next week. We're going to go go see him. He's in Hawaii. He's he he's graduating in finance, you know, doing all the interviews, but really he wants to be an entrepreneur. And I've tried to convince him that he should just like detail cars, like forget about all these interviews, just pick a place to live and start detailing cars and get really good at it and sell it. And that would just be to me, you know, in my entrepreneur journey, I didn't graduate and then just suddenly like become an entrepreneur. I graduated. I did all the interviewing. I did tons of interviews just so I could get really good at that process because I felt like it would be a skill that would benefit me. And then I picked something and it was actually at a search engine. So that's where my technology background comes in and marketing. And I did sales there and I loved it because it was really hard. It was very hard Mm -hmm. to learn how to sell this very technical thing. But then after that, I realized, oh, I can make money for people. Like if I know how to sell something. So I actually bought a pool business, a really small pool business in Las Vegas. I didn't own a pool. I had never (laughs) cleaned a pool, but I bought a pool business to clean pools. And I started doing it, but I knew I knew I could market it and I could sell it. And so I grew it. And then I I think I did it for a year and a half and I doubled the size of it and I resold it. Wow. I just wanted to do it to have the experience. And and so that was kind of what I was telling my son, like just detail cars. I know it might seem like, yeah, I have a you know a finance degree. Why am I detailing cars? Well, if you want to be an entrepreneur, it's just like a muscle that you have to learn to build. Like just go do those things, like offer great customer service, do an excellent job, show up on time, you know, like over deliver all those things, figure out how are you going to get customers? Where are you going to post online to get customers, you know, referrals, blah, blah, blah. It's just about doing the things to learn how to do it. And mm-hmm. so that would be like, find the easiest business you could do. It could literally be baking bread, right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to bake sourdough bread. I'm going to sell it to my my whole community. And it doesn't have to be it forever. It could literally be like, I'm going to do this 
for nine months or for a year and I'm going to see how big I can grow it and what I can learn from it. And you do it as an experiment, but that would be the education. That's the education I want for my son. Originally, my kids, when they were going to college, I tried to talk them out of it. And they were like, they just wanted to have the experience, which I understand. I had that experience, but I realized mm-hmm. that I also didn't learn anything until I graduated. It wasn't <laughs> until I, I read the books I wanted to read or did the things I wanted to do that I was like, oh, okay, maybe I am smart because in college I did not feel very smart. But that's kind of what I hope for my kids. But that's if you want to be an entrepreneur, like pick something and it doesn't have to be for the rest of your life, but pick something to do it. The pool business was perfect for me because it was very low startup startup cost. I did purchase a, a existing one and had that person teach me how to do it in like two weeks. And then I went out and I did it and I ended up hiring someone to actually do the work for me. And I just managed it and grew it and marketed it. And then I, once I was like, okay, I'm good. I told it. Wow. And so before you ever flipped a mattress, you flipped an entire pool business. And that's yeah. how you're so <laughs> incredibly skilled at what you've done. Well, I mean, it's it's learning, right? So yeah. I think that's what the fun part is, is just like, okay, let's learn this. And maybe we take it too seriously. Maybe mm-hmm. we overthink it. I do that all the time, like way overthink everything. Yeah. Maybe it's just like, hey, I'm going to commit to this and I'm going to do this for this long and I'm just going to do the best I can and see what I can learn from it. I, especially for my son right now, he's, he's not married yet and there's not going to be a time in his life that he's more free to make mistakes and to try things like there's nothing to lose. You're not, a family's not, you know, relying on his income to be able to eat. He could literally eat Taco Bell every day for a year. (laughs) I mean, he might feel a little gross, but yeah, you're right. (laughs) But you know, it's, it's like he could do it really cheap and of course, it's very easy from my point of view to be able mm-hmm. to say that to him. And, you know, how much do they listen to the parents? I don't know. So I'm always sending him podcasts that kind of say that same thing. So mm-hmm. if you're a parent and you're wanting your kid to do that, send them this podcast. Maybe they'll mm-hmm. listen to me, you know, <laughs> reach out to me. Um, and maybe you could give my, my son some advice. But Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think it's an important thing that we needed to touch on because... Yeah, this that's the whole point of the show is educating people and understanding there's a different path. And I do see the tendency of people to overcomplicate it. I overcomplicate it for sure. I spend way too much time in planning mode and not in execution and action taking. And I think Justin, even on this show, has used that same example of just start detailing cars, like wash cars. It's such a simple service you can provide that people always need. Their cars are always going to get dirty. And if you can learn that skill and sell that skill, you know, just do that. And that's actually something even hearing you say that I'm like, my kids could start doing that right now. They're really good at cleaning my car. I make them do it because they're the ones who make it dirty. So take that skill set. I mean, I cleaned houses when I was in high school and it earned my entire way to go on trips. And I was able to charge for a skill that my mom taught me how to do. So yeah, Yeah. start simple and don't make it the big million dollar plan right away. (laughs) Yeah, I did. I did lawn care in high school. I mowed lawns. And I know that's kind of weird for a teenage high school girl, but we had a lawnmower and that was my job at home. And I knew how to do it. And I knew I could make money doing it. So I did that for a long time. And I cleaned houses just like you when I had young kids. And I was like, I can't really leave the house. And so I would take them with me to go clean houses. Like you just do the things, right? Mm -hmm. And you're like, oh, well, that's that's how you do it. You do it. So like, I'm really into taking big actions and to not sit around and over plan stuff. You know, it's, 
to me, it's progress over perfection. Now, at some point, you want to be really good at what you do. So right. I don't want to discount that. But to start and and just the expectation of failing a lot of times, like, yeah, you're going to fail a lot of times. You're going to have people that don't like the way you do things. Yeah. And do you know what? That's your customer service experience you're going to get. How do you make it right? How do you like resolve the concern? How do you like fix the problem? Mm-hmm. So all of those lessons can be packaged into that. Yes. Just start something. Yeah. Yes. Good. Well, I'm glad we covered that. It's an important concept to talk about because, yeah, I think that we can get in our own way. So, yeah, it's it's really amazing to hear that story. Thanks for coming and sharing what that roadmap no, looks you. like. Thank you. There's, you know, truthfully, there's no real secret, right? The secret is work mm-hmm. and solving problems. So, yeah. Thank you, Kirsten. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So if people want to learn more about ShareTown, where is the best place for them to go? And then even just to follow you and learn more about you and watch your journey unfold, where would you recommend us to find you? Yeah. If you're interested, if anyone's interested actually becoming a ShareTown rep or being a contractor, we're always looking for people. Um, Entrepreneurs are our favorite kinds of people because they show up and they have ownership over it and they want to do a great job. And so If you go to our website, sharetown.com, and you scroll to the bottom, there's a little link that says uh, become a rep, and you just fill out a really simple application and then go through an interview process. And then for me, you can find me on Instagram at Georgia Lee, J-O-R-J-A-L-E-A, or on LinkedIn, Georgia Levitt. Awesome. Well, you have been a great guest. Thanks for sharing all of the good knowledge bombs and the whole entire journey. You are amazing, and I'm so glad that we got to chat with you. Thanks, Kirsten. It was an honor. Yeah. All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you on the next one. Let's give it up for Kirsten and Georgia. I think they hit it out of the park. What do you think, babe? I think they're amazing. I got to say, for Kirsten's very first interview on the MU podcast, killed it. And then Georgia. There was so much that she talked about that I was just sitting there going, yes, yes, preach. It was so good. I loved how she talked about just taking action, just doing it. Keep it simple. Like she's trying to convince her son who just graduated from college before she was trying to convince her kids not to go to college, but she's trying to convince him just go start detailing cars, right? Like it's super simple. Don't worry about the big, huge plan and figuring everything out and learning everything. She said, go detail cars, go learn how to detail cars. He just graduated college and she's telling him, go detail cars. Do one car. Maybe do a little research on best ways to detail. Maybe do your own car. Then do your friend's car. And then get paid to do a car. And then do another one and another one. And then figure out where you can improve. Just keep getting better. And there are so many examples of this. It's not just about detailing cars, but what is something that stands out for you? What is something that you could either start or take to that next level? I also love that she talked about sales. And I'm going to say if you can sell, because to me, selling is more of a willingness. A willingness to put yourself out there to be okay with getting some rejection. If you are willing and able to do that, you can do absolutely anything in business and in life. Right, babe? Yep. Tara's having lunch next to me in our makeshift studio. (laughs) Guys, we believe in you. Believe in yourself. In a couple days, we'll be heading to Bora Bora. Didn't that guy say it's not really even called Bora Bora? 
It's like Tora Tora. But that should be fun. We've never been. It'll be fun to compare the difference of this island. Obviously a lot more luxury, a lot more amenities, but also maybe not as cozy and quaint and cute. And the people are so awesome. It's almost like you showed up to this island and they're having this really cool big family reunion and you're just there like watching. Everybody knows each other. They have these ways of doing things. I don't know. It's just really fun to experience. Even the laundry I did today was something I've never done before. Yeah, that was the highlight of Tara's day. Washing laundry in dirty water. (laughs) (laughs) Did the whites turn out okay? Okay. I guess the dirty water works. It's like dirty rainwater, right? Anyway, we're having a blast, guys. We're living our best life. Live your best life. It's a choice. It doesn't just come from money, but learning how to make money can change your life. And it's not about HUD. It's a choice. You choose to make money. You choose to become financially free. You choose to live the best life you possibly can. Next week on the MU Podcast, we'll be sharing the five steps to killing it with SEO. So stay tuned for that. If you like this episode or the podcast in general, please share with a friend. If you have yet to do so, leave us a rating and or review wherever you are listening now. Get out there, make things happen to have a great week. This is your chief and chief best money-making officer signing off from the rainy remote island of Malpiti. Until next time, class dismissed.